that is Genesis 1 and 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over all the birds of the heaven and over all the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, and for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to a man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Eliza. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be back with you. For those who may be new joining us for the first time, a warm welcome to you. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here. And we are wrapping up our series. We have this evening and then one more evening on our series, The Image of God, where we're looking at uh, how the fact that we are made in God's image and every person we encounter is made in God's image uh, should radically change how we engage with everybody. Um, And it's key to helping us love as Jesus loves. And so last week we looked at how our sexuality images God. And This afternoon, we were looking at how our gender images God. Okay, so continuing in our light and controversy-free topics here. Okay, so we do live in a, you know, an extremely volatile moment where it seems like, you know, anything you say in this realm is going to, you're going to step on a landmine and just create a reaction. Um, But my encouragement to you is that, well, inevitably, like almost no matter what you say, it's going to create offense. The answer isn't to say nothing. Uh, but the answer instead is to look with as much, you know, effort and clarity as we can to see what does Jesus say about these things, and then to apply his teaching uh, as compassionately as possible to our lives. And so as we head in here, I just want to encourage you to, especially because politics have so dominated our thinking, uh, to do your best to just put political categories aside, uh, and instead think about what does this mean for you? Right? Because a grave error that we as believers often make is we, attri- is we jump to applying biblical principles to other people rather than first applying them to ourselves. And truth be told, you know, who in here doesn't have a deep story as pertains to your experience of your own sex? Right? So questions like, am I happy with my body? Uh, am I measuring up to what it means to be a woman? You know, whatever that means. Am I measuring up to what it means to be a man? You know, what, does it even, what does Jesus even have to do with my maleness or my, fe- or my femaleness? Okay, so like we have to look at these things for ourselves. And so just to, to put my cards on the table, um, 
This is a topic in particular, I mean, because things are changing almost every week, it seems. And so I'm still very much in process here, right, of, of learning about these things. And so I'll try to make it as clear as possible. You know, what does Scripture clearly say? And then where are some areas where I'm not really quite sure if this is clear or not, but here are the things that, that I think that I'm seeing. Um, and just due to the nature of the topic, uh, there are so many things we're not going to be able to address. Uh, so on that note, just two resources that, that may be helpful for you that were helpful for me in preparing for this. I did a lot of reading, but these were two of the books that were the most helpful. One is uh, What God Has to Say About Our Bo- Bodies by Sam Albury. And then another, and this is, it's, it's pretty short, very, very succinct. That's one of his gifts in writing. And then this one, The Genesis of Gender by Abigail Favalli. So she has her PhD. She teaches at Notre Dame now. And her book's helpful because she has her academic history in gender studies. And so in her book, she writes in an extremely accessible way, but there's an important history here to how language has changed and our our ideas have changed over time. And she writes with, you know, clarity and compassion as she addresses these issues. So I encourage you to uh, check out that work as well. Um, But so just as we jump in, similar to last week, you'll probably have so many, what about this, what about that questions. Let's see this hopefully as a foundation we can use for uh, future ongoing conversations uh, within our church and with our friends and coworkers and neighbors. So uh, here is our outline for today, kind of getting back to what I alluded to earlier. First, what does scripture, what does scripture say about gender? Okay, so what does it say? What does scripture not say about gender? And then number three, what are the consequences for our lives in light of these things we see? So one, what does scripture say? Okay, what's what's clear in scripture? Number two, what does scripture not say? Okay, and then number three, what are some consequences for our lives? So first, number one, uh, what does scripture say? So let's look at Genesis 1, verse 27, our hallmark verse through for most of the series. So God's in the, the, the final moment of creation, and he's, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so the first thing we see here is gender is binary. Okay, gender is binary. And so throughout all of creation, you see pairings that God's creating, right? So heaven and earth, light and dark. And then the climax of creation is he's creating male and female. So here you don't see there, there's, there's not a spectrum or a continuum here of genders. It's male or female. And in case you're thinking, oh, well, this is just, you know, outdated Old Testament stuff, uh, Jesus affirms this reality as well. Okay, so in, in Matthew 19, verse 4, Jesus answers, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Okay, so again, just affirming the binary of male and female. So here, and some of you are probably already wondering this, uh, but here we do have to acknowledge the condition of intersex, where there are individuals born with not easily recognizable body parts, and so it's hard to tell if they are male or female, either based on their genitalia or if they're chromosomes don't match their anatomy. And so two notes on here. Uh, One, we're not going to linger here for too long. Uh, So intersex individuals make up about two out of every 10,000 births. Okay, so it's an extremely low number. And, but it's not because it's a low number. Okay, every person matters. But the reason why we're not going to linger here long is because 
This is a, this is a medical condition, and it's an extremely painful reality for individuals who are intersex. If you are intersex in here, then you know this. And they don't appreciate being used as mascots or red herrings in gender identity debates, okay? So that's the first reason. And number two, what I love about Jesus is Jesus gives value to those without easily identifiable body parts. So in that chapter we just read in Matthew 19, right after he affirms the binary of male and female, he goes on to say in verse 12 of the same chapter, for there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and then he says, there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And there's a lot of things he's getting at, So, but eunuchs were uh, boys without all the parts. And so notice, Jesus, he doesn't say, because there are those without easily identifiable parts, there's no binary. No, he still affirms the binary and the creational intent. But then what he also does, he says, but for those of you who aren't easily identifiable, I see you, I know and love you, and you have an equally valuable place in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, it's incredible. I mean, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is giving value, right, to individuals who, who would fit this category. Okay, and so first we see genders binary, male and female, equal, okay, both having inexpressible worth as image bearers of God, number one. Number two, what do we see here about gender in the scriptures? So notice that as God is creating things, he's physically forming the world, right? So land, earth, birds, trees, fish, and so forth. So he's physically filling the world. And then it says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the second thing we see here is that gender is embodied, Okay, gender is embodied. Okay, he's physically making everything else. So there's no indication here that male and femaleness would be understood in any category unrelated to their body. Okay, so Adam and Eve, they, they didn't have to figure out what gender they were, right? Or if they were a man or a woman based on their psychology. They knew it based on their bodies, now, there are individuals who experience gender dysphoria. This is real and very worthy of our care, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but for now, just what we want to see is the scriptures and Jesus affirming that no matter how complicated or painful your experience may be, you, you don't need, like, God gives you so much clarity. And so the determiner of who you are as a person shouldn't reside in your feelings, right? But Look at your body and who's God, who God has made you to be. You know that Christianity has always placed such an extremely high value on the body. Okay, so you know you're not just a, a spirit or a brain or a psychology residing in some kind of physical canister. Okay, this has been a heresy that's plagued the church for millennia, and it's still so popular in our culture. Okay, but you are an embodied soul, we see taught in the scriptures, right? So your body and soul are entwined together in such a way that they aren't separated. And so you should love your body. Okay, God made your body. Your, your body is such a big part of what makes you, you. And so it, it's interesting because we, we encourage people to, oh, hey, <laughs> we encourage people to, you know, love the color of their skin, black brown, white, everything in between. Why don't we also help teach people to love their body? 
right? And therefore also the gender they've been created in. And so if you're a woman, you should love being a woman. Okay? And if you're a man, you should love being a man. Okay? It's not an accident you have the body that you have. It's what God has given you. So number two, we see gender is embodied. Number three, what do we see about gender? We see that male and female need each other to fully image God. Okay, male and female need each other to fully image God. So back to verse 27, chapter 1. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him. And then what's the first thing we're told after we're told in the image of God he created mankind? Male and female, he created them. There's so many things that God could have put down here for what it means to be in the image of God. Okay, he, put it, he could have put relationality. He could have put a concern for justice, things we've been talking about throughout the series. But before the sentence is even over, it says male and female, he created, which means gender is profoundly important. And then in chapter 2 in the scripture passage, verse 18 to 25, so much richness here. Um, but notice that the, the pattern is, so animals are going before Adam and he's naming them. And something that's going on is God wants uh, Adam to see that there's still no creature or, per, or being like him. Okay, so he's like, oh, that's not like me, not like me, not like me. And then he forms Eve and he goes, oh my goodness. You know, like the beauty, and it says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And this doesn't mean I feel incomplete in a romantic sense, right? But Eve needs to be used. You see the term helper there, okay? A better translation would be irreplaceable ally, okay? Woman and man are both needed together, okay, to fully reflect and represent God in the world. And so what we're seeing here is it's not that man is half in the image of God and female is half in the image of God. They're, they're both fully made in the image of God, but when they come together, a new whole dynamic, as it were, forms which images God, so one way you could put it is men and women each have non-reproducible glories, okay, or non-interchangeable glories that when it comes together, God is imaged in a new way. Just, this, is, we're, this is a little bit mysterious, but you, I think you all intuit this in various scenarios. So you've probably been to an all-men's or an all-women's event that was fun and life-giving, but is there not a unique splendor and dynamic when you walk into a lively room filled with both genders. Okay, or, or imagine this. Imagine a city with only men or only women. Maybe some of you are like, I wish it was that way. <laughs> only men, only Imagine a church of only women or only men. It'd be flat. Wouldn't it? Imagine our worship singing okay, with only male voices or only women voices, female voices all the time. Okay, and I challenge you that even secular spaces acknowledge this. So, right, so in uh, secular leadership, there's a lot of talk, as there should be, about the importance of women on leadership teams in addition to men, and there should be. But what's going on there? I don't think it's just a matter of representation and fairness, but there's this acknowledgement and intuition that when both are together, it enriches everybody's life, as opposed to there being just one. Okay, so we need men and women together. Okay, God could have created just women or just men and humans just sprout out of the earth, right? But he created two of us. That's incredible. Okay, so we need to keep these three realities down that gender is embodied, it's binary, and it's men and women 
both equal as image bearers, that more fully image God. Because when we discard any of these realities, that's when things start to break down downstream. Okay, so, so I hope you're seeing the, the clarity that Scripture gives us here. Um, so next, number two, let's look at what does Scripture not say? Okay, if we need to be clear on where Scripture's clear, okay, we want to make sure we're not going beyond what Scripture says. So if many secular progressive spaces tend to minimize or erase the differences between men and women, right? They want to keep the equality, but then erase the beautiful diversity that's there with men and women together. Often in many conservative spaces, what happens is you overemphasize the differences in a way that's not biblical. Okay, so if you're a man, that means you are authoritative and you drive a tank as you drink whiskey and eat a raw T-bone, you know, straight off the bone and oppose everything related to Justin Bieber. Okay. If you're a woman, then you need to be, have a quiet disposition. Okay, you need to wear a dress and probably do watercolors. I was talking about these scenarios with uh, Andrew this week as we were talking about the sermon, and I gave that example, and he goes, hey, I was literally looking at watercolors before I came over here. (laughs) I have my grocery cart. Why are you attacking me? Sorry. But to the point, right? Okay. So so often people go like way beyond um, what scripture actually says when it comes to men and women. And so here's a question we have to ask. Does the Bible give traits or personalities that one gender should have but not the other? Does Scripture give traits or personalities that one gender should have but not the other? And here we're getting into a little bit of thus thinketh the Steve, not thus saith the Lord, but I can't find any. And a lot of, like, people I respect who I've listened to teach on this, everything I've read, I can't find any. Okay, so does the scripture give exhortation specific to genders? Yes. So does First Peter 3 say, it, within a specific context, right, you, you need to be gentle? Does God not want men to be gentle too? Okay, or in Titus 2, he exhorts older men to be steadfast and have self-control. Does God not want men to be steadfast and have self-control? Of course he he does, right? Yes, there are a lot of specific exhortations that are given to men and women because of that context. Okay, but by and large, what we see is there's no trait or personality that I can find that should be unique to men or women. So in the scriptures, you see many strong and courageous women, Okay, traits traditionally associated or assigned to men. Okay, Paul describes himself in 1 Thessalonians as being like a nursing mother to his church. Okay, so throughout the range of Scripture, we see the full range of categories, strength and nurture, courage and kindness, okay, that both men and women should embody. And this is wise of God, Because I I think God knows that there are so many cultural stereotypes that are just that, stereotypes. And so he gives us the flexibility, right, to be the men and women God's created us to be. Um, So the Bible can be applied across all times and places. As a former teacher at my seminary put it, and he's, I mean, he was born and raised in Scotland, full-blooded Scot. So you, you need the Scottish accent to appreciate it. But he says, you know, what do you think of when you think of long hair and a skirt? 
He goes, I think of Braveheart. <laughs> You're like, male or female? It depends. And so here, I just, what I, one of the things I think is so helpful is we actually find that the Bible is far more inclusive when it comes to personality traits we can embody than the culture. Okay, so as an example, if you're talking with someone who would affirm the reality that it's reasonable to say, okay, I am, I am biologically a man, okay, but I feel like a woman, and therefore I'm just as much of a woman as those who are born biologically female. And you ask, well, what does it mean to be a woman? Notice, I mean, aside from now, now the term woman not having any substantial meaning, Notice the answer often falls back to stereotypes. Okay, that's basically the closest, the closest that our culture can get, what it, what it means to be a man or a woman. Okay, so like back to the very stereotypes we've been trying to get away from, and feminism, is, or some sex of feminism, have been trying to get away from since the Industrial Revolution. But you know what the scriptures say? And on one hand, the Bible is more narrow, okay, than scripture, because it says if you're born a man or a woman, then you are a man or a woman and live the way God has made you. But on the other hand, it's far more inclusive because if it says, God says, if you are a strong and entrepreneurial and sporty woman, then that is the, that is the woman God has made you to be. And you should enjoy being a woman. And if you are a thoughtful, gentle, artistic man, then you should enjoy being the man God has made you to be. So much liberation we have there. And to sum it up, and here I'm paraphrasing Sam Albury a little bit, like if we had to say that the Bible gives a biblical masculinity or femininity, as it were, masculinity or femininity, as the Bible defines it, is what naturally emerges in you as you grow in Christ's likeness as a man or woman of God. So I think we can say that with definitive clarity. Okay, it's what naturally emerges in you as you grow in Christ-likeness, meaning as, as you learn to grow in who Jesus is, you become more the man or more the woman God has made you to be. Okay, so this is something we don't see the scripture say, like giving defined traits or personalities to men and women, but by saying what it doesn't say, it actually gives us a lot of freedom to move around. I hope that's comforting, especially for some of you who've always felt like a little bit out of place. You know, why? Well, I'm a man or a woman, but a lot of people have told me I shouldn't have that personality type. Okay, so now number three, uh, what are some consequences for our lives? Okay, and we'll move in concentric circles from how we view and treat others to how we view and treat ourselves. So as we think about treating others, um, I, we can't talk about this subject without addressing transgenderism a little bit. And so up until about 50 or 60 years ago, sex and gender were understood to go together. Okay, but over the past 50 or 60 years, they've been separated. And so there is a condition, gender dysphoria, where, which, which means, and here I'm drawing from a psychologist, that your emotional or psychological identity is different than the biological identity you have, your sex and your chromosomes. Okay, so you may feel like a man, but you're in a female body. And this reality is real. It's extremely painful, okay, for those who, who have this. Now, 
the last time that, so the DSM, which is the gold standard for mental health professionals, the last edition was in 2013, and the statistics they gave at that point were, I think it was 0.014% of people who have, like, genuine gender dysphoria. Now, since, that number has skyrocketed. Okay, even from 2016 to 2017, alone, in that year, there was a 289% increase in gender reassignment surgeries for females. Okay, and that's a whole other story altogether. So we have to ask, you know, what does it look like to love as Jesus loves when it comes to those who have gender dysphoria or those who are wrestling with questions of, you know, do I have it or not? And here, I, I mean, we have 10 minutes left, okay, so <laughs> try to give me some grace, okay, but let's, we can talk after, but what are the, I think what will be most helpful for us is looking at the clearest and most broad principles we can cling on to. And the first thing we have to hold is compassion. We have to hold compassion. Okay, so compassion in scripture, as John was uh, talking to me about this this week, it's not a suggestion Jesus gives, it's a command. Okay, so try not to think for, for some of you, like, oh, if I show compassion, then I'm buying into some kind of leftist, social justice, warrior. Cat. No, okay, Jesus commands us to have compassion. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is especially toward those we don't understand, those we consider an enemy, those we consider inconvenient. And so under the umbrella of compassion, I think the, the first step is simply understanding as best as we can and here's what I mean by that. So this belief that I can, that my emotional psychological identity may be different than my biological, and so I'm going to go with the psychological side rather than the bodily side, it's actually not, for those who think it's ridiculous, it's not that ridiculous when you consider first how technology has reshaped how we relate to our bodies. Okay, so think you can be on your phone or computer and you can be living, engaging, even working and making money in a place that has no relevance at all to your actual bodily location. Okay, and so if your work, and even your identity, right, a lot of people would project an identity online that's different than their person. If where you, like, are acting in space and the identity you're putting has no relevance to your body, then it's not that big of a leap to say my gender has no connection with my body. Okay, that actually makes sense. And number two... I mean, over the last couple hundred years, especially since Western Enlightenment, I mean, we have been told over and over and over again that the deepest, most true part of who you are are your feelings. And guys, like, <laughs> if that's what you've been told from songs and your peer group and maybe your parents and everything in between— and you don't know the God who made you and who loves you and has given himself for you and, and has given you a way to live in a community of individuals who can support you? I mean, is it that surprising and that so many individuals are torn with this question of, you know, of who am I really? Okay, am I a man? Am I a woman? So, so first we need... First, we need understanding. Number two, and this came up in our 101 class yesterday, or a version of this question, is how do we respond as a church if a transgender person walks in our doors? 
And here's how a lot of churches have responded to this, or a version of it. And how it sadly often goes in church circles is behave, believe, belong. Okay, so if you're acting in a way that goes like outside of the, the boundary marker of what we've deemed accept, acceptable behavior, right, whether that's with sexuality or gender or any, name any other list of behavior, then you're not welcome here until you change your behavior, and then you need to believe in Jesus, and then after that, we'll welcome you. We'll listen to you. We'll weep with you. We'll have you over to our dinner tables. Okay, and what we see in Scripture as the way of Jesus is it should actually be belong, believe, and then behave. Okay, where if a transgender person walks in, I hope they're met with nothing less than they are seen, and if you're here, I hope you okay, are received this way, that we see them as an image bearer of God. Okay, someone who's deeply cherished by God to be known and loved and welcomed. And then throughout the process, we introduce them to the person of Jesus. Okay, the first thing is, hey, let me introduce you to the gender binary. No, it's, let me tell you how amazing Jesus is. Okay, and then over time, uh, accompaniment is a term that Abigail Favala used that I think is really helpful. We accompany them just as we have to accompany one another in all of, in all of our struggles, in all of our confusion, right? And then we accompany them as, as we help them learn to walk and live in the ways that Jesus gives them. And so a question, could it be that a huge reason for the spike in LGBT identification that we've seen could be because at the heart of it, every human being deeply wants identity and belonging. Okay, identity, who am I and is who that is of value and belonging? Am I seen and cherished in a community? And the LGBTQ community does that really well. And what if it was the case that actually what people are looking for should have been given to them in the church for starting with a long time ago? And so may we be that space where we can walk, walk alongside people in, in this manner. Okay, so first, number one, compassion. Uh, maybe to, to close out that thought about compassion, just ask yourself the question, and you may be offended I'm even asking this, but you need to ask it seriously. Are you afraid of transgender people? We can't love, right, those that we're afraid of. Okay, so no, number one, it has to be compassion. Number two, truth, right? Jesus comes, John chapter one, with grace and truth. So first, we need to understand that to love somebody, it doesn't mean always agreeing with them. Okay, this is a category our culture doesn't have room for, but this is Jesus 101. I mean, Jesus 102. Jesus 101 is all who come to me I will never cast out. Okay, but 102 is, I mean, Jesus disagrees with everybody. Okay, no one could charge him of being unloving. He disagrees with you and me all the time today, right? That's in large part how he grows us. And so we need to break out of this, this thinking that to, you know, love someone means I need to uh, affirm every single thing. Okay, I mean, do you even, do you affirm every single thing you do? Right? Are there people that you disagree with on things, and would you say you hate them? No, you love them. Because we, we have to remember that we can, in fact, often how we love somebody is by holding to truth. Now, of course, remember number one, we have to do it undergirded by compassion. And then second, with respect to truth, along that vein, 
I think now, especially when it comes to believers, right, who are wrestling with these, right, Paul says not to judge those outside the church, okay, but inside the church, we really work on one another with these things. To remember, getting back to a little bit of what we said earlier, that again and again what we hear in culture is that to live your most authentic, happy life, you have to affirm and fulfill every desire that you have. Okay, whereas Jesus comes along, and he doesn't say desires are bad. Nobody says, he says, what, take up your cross. We all have a cross to bear, and Jesus gives us a grid, right, of which desires to demote or suppress and which desires to augment. Why? Not because he's about suppression of desire, but because he's about fulfilling our greatest desires. Okay, knowing and loving him. And so as we walk as followers, I mean, just all of you, wouldn't you say that in every area of life, like you know there are some desires that wouldn't be healthy if you just grabbed it and then chased them to their, to their end. Okay, but then suddenly when it comes to some areas, we're like, no, we need to make sure that, that we follow every desire that we have. Now, as I say this, I mean, we do have to acknowledge that here we're getting, you know, this is where we have the limitations of the sermon. We do have to acknowledge that the suicide rate and attempted suicide rate of trans teens is stratospheric. Okay, and so how we go about this, right, has to be with as much grace and truth as we can. Okay, and then finally, number three here, when it comes to truth, and, and here, try not to think in political categories, okay, Jesus, he over and over again throughout the scriptures calls us to care for the vulnerable. And there are so many young children now who are told if you're questioning your identity, then if, if they're met with nothing less than unqualified affirmation, followed by puberty blockers, followed by sex transition eventually, then you're seen as hateful and a bigot. So, I mean, might there be a position that's not bigotry and hatred, and we're going to cast you out, but also not, we're going to encourage you, especially motivated by all kinds of financial and political incentives, to do something irreversible, to your fertility and to your body. And just, I just, I think there's got to be a position we can hold that, that are between these two. Right, as we come alongside people with compassion and truth. Okay, a lot more we could say. Um, would love to talk with you all more about this afterward. Number, and then finally, okay, how do we love others? Just talked about it. And then finally, what do we think about for ourselves in this realm? And here's something I, I hope we can right, get back to thinking about. How does God meet us as we think about what does it mean for me to be a man, right? For you to be a woman. And as I was just in my private devotions this week, I've been reading through John. And I was in nearing the end of John chapter 12. And in John chapter 12, verse 27, so Jesus is, he's, he's on the eve, I believe, of his betrayal and crucifixion. He's just about to have his final meal with his best friends. And in verse 27, shortly before his meal, with, his final meal with his best friends, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Now what's he saying? First he's saying, my soul is troubled here. He, he's thinking about the cross that's to come, and this word for trouble here means to be churning with anxiety, to be terrified, Okay, and so Jesus has these strong feelings overcoming him, 
what is it? What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Meaning, Father, let me, all right, I have these feelings. I'm just going to chase them and run with them. No, he says, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. And what, what's going on here first? Just know that, I mean, all of us, and uh, John was talking with me about this this week, all of us have some kind of dysphoria, as it were. Right? I mean, do not each of you, is there not something about your body that you wish was different? Something about your abilities that you wish were different? Something about your temperament that you wish were different? And here we have Jesus modeling for us. Is he, he feels his feelings. It's not that they don't matter. But then what does he do? He, he goes to the Lord and he remembers the purpose for which God the Father sent him. And what was his purpose? He says, for this purpose, I've come to this hour. His purpose was to, to give up his life for you, right? To, to turn you from an enemy into a son or a daughter of God, to turn you into one of his brothers, one of his sisters. And then he rises from the dead so that even today, as you wrestle with whatever kind of pain or confusion you're experiencing, Jesus is with you in it. He knows what it's like to have a deep dis- disconnect between his feelings and reality and what God says is true. And he's bringing you to a place where in the new earth, there will be zero gap between the person you want to be and the person you actually are, between your body and between your feelings. And this is a hope only Jesus offers. And here's how C.S. Lewis put it in his book, Miracles, as he talks about the place that Jesus is taking us to. He writes, these small imperishable bodies we now have were given to us as ponies are given to schoolboys. We must learn to manage. Not that we may someday be free of horses altogether, right, or free of our bodies, but that someday we may ride bareback, confident and rejoicing, those greater mounts, those winged, shining, and world-shaking horses which perhaps even now expect us with impatience, pawing and snorting in the king's stables. That is what we're in for, nothing less. Let's pray.